Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. And yes, I am literally sitting here journaling because uh, I just did our morning walk. It is wet, gray, dark, gloomy. Uh, So I came back up to the journaling spot while the dogs have a quiet moment and decided I wanted to launch into this actually very important topic and one that you've probably never spent any time thinking about. But uh, so I don't know if this will be on the front end, the back end. I can't really edit these audios, so I ask for your patience. But we're just going to take a deep breath. We're going to skip our Wired for Danger intro. Uh, I just want to remind all of us that I am speaking to these ideas through the filter of someone who is quote unquote wired for danger, meaning my default, uh, my default nervous system response to impending danger is to fight, is to run through it, to run towards it. And that includes what I'm calling a hyperactive response of my nervous system. Now, we would define that as the the sympathetic, which is our uh, partner to our parasympathetic. The meltdowns happen, the, the flood responses, all these things happen on the side of the sympathetic nervous system. We have a thought whether we are consciously thinking or not, our thoughts tend to precede our ability to acknowledge them, which triggers a chemical reaction, which has been something that we used to just call the stress response. It used to just be all about fight, flight, freeze. But we've developed this whole other language around this very simple chemical response within our body. And we've also created diagnostic mental health criteria to name it. And then once that happens, we start discussing it as it must be a problem. Uh, And part of my intention and goal with these podcasts is that Uh, One, I'll probably never get around to writing all this down in a cohesive book format, is that hopefully it will get to some people who will understand what this means for them, and maybe these ideas will start to enter the common thinking processes. But because we're tending to pathologize everything and bring us, as I spoke to not too long ago, about a state of homogeneity where we all respond the same way, defining a quote-unquote normal and then trying to medicate and behaviorally manage all of us into a, to the center of the bell curve. And what I'm trying to do is to have us understand who's on the outside of that bell curve, who sits way up at the front of it, who sits at the back of it, uh, while most people are in the middle of it, as we think about these things in a new way. It's less fearful because the more we understand, the less we are afraid of something that we don't understand. And if you're a parent or a grandparent watching your child melt down, we're so afraid of the temper tantrum. We're so afraid of what that might mean in a mental health diagnostic criteria way. Oh, do I need to get my kid looked at? Is he 
is he autistic? Is he ADHD? Does he have one of these new fabulous disorders called conduct disorder, oppositional defiance disorder? You know, what I can speak to you as a mental health professional, for those of you who are new, I am a licensed clinical social worker in the state of California. So I have seen thousands of people. I'm not just somebody that read half a book and is talking about myself and therefore I'm proclaiming myself an expert. Really, my specialty is the first responder uh, person, the frontline person, because through my work, I started to understand that's who I was. But now that I've had this survival lifestyle and I've recognized how good basic survival living was for my nervous system, you know, I started to question the whole mental health diagnostic world. And now because we have so much more information, uh, you know, we call it neurodiversity, we talk about, you know, brains in a different way, but we're also into diagnosing everybody with some different version of something, which irritates me to no end. And so I'm trying to kind of just couch this under our nervous system responses so that we can make peace with the fact that we're all a little bit different, that if we understand ourselves, it helps us also understand who we are versus who we are not. And more importantly, maybe stop shaming and blaming and raging at those of us who are not like we are, because I'm seeing that so uh, much in our uh, inability to connect with each other because we don't understand who we are. We think everybody should think and feel and believe as we do, and we have almost no tolerance to interact with people who are different than us. And I don't think there's any time that's more important to understand what this flooding process is because not only you know, if you don't understand it, it'll get you locked up in a, a mental institution. It will get you on medication that you may or may not want, but it also will land you in jail. It will uh, create serious problems when we don't understand what we're doing, how to manage it, and most importantly, get out the way so we're not doing something that can't be undone. And that's probably the biggest detriment to whatever version of flooding that uh, you may be involved in. My belief system at this point, just in terms of, you know, I've spent over 40 years studying the brain, the body, the biochemical responses, electromagnetic responses, nutrition, hormones, neurotransmitters, blah, 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 right? So I've been doing this for a very long time. And my takeaway as I can step back and look at a huge body of information and a historical perspective, because I can see who we were as Wired for Danger people in history and the things that we did, we're essential. I would say very important, but we also got into a lot of trouble and we caused a lot of trouble and we are very threatening to people who don't understand this flooding process. Uh, and we're in a world now where, you know, it used to be they just lock you up in a mental institution or you would run away and become a mountain man. I if you listen to the story of Kit Carson, uh, he was most definitely probably a wired for danger person. He sounds very ADHD, sounds dyslexic, uh, but he lived this very dynamic life. He did a lot of good and he did a lot of very terrible things. Uh, so I think by understanding who we are, 
maybe we can stay in the good for the world and ourselves category and less in the tearing the world up category because we don't understand what's happening to us. And the most dynamic component of the Wired for Danger brain is the flood. Uh, And you saw in the title, I called it flooding first, spiraling down the drain second. Uh, And what I mean by that is the sympathetic response is when it's fight becomes this overwhelming flood of chemicals. It is designed to help you survive in nature. If you want to understand it uh, at a much deeper biological level, I would recommend uh, the uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Robert, and I just lost his last name. It is a fabulous book. He spends a lot of time uh, in the in the African uh, planes and Serengeti and things, watching animals, trying to understand their stress response and how he would define it against how humans. And, you know, my big takeaway from a lot of these people who have done animal studies with trauma and stress and things like that is we have similar processes, but we don't have the complementary piece of coping and managing it. We don't run. We're not outside. We're not touching the ground. We don't have a system within our culture that uh, allows for these things to happen and then understands what the spiral down the drain phase is, which is the discharge phase. Each of the fight of the, of the sympathetic responses, fight, flight, freeze, require a discharge phase from the flood, whether the flood freezes you up, uh, whether the flood makes you want to run away, or if the flood makes you run towards the fight. There's a secondary component that is your parasympathetic nervous system trying to regain balance. And when you don't have the ability to fluidly move back and forth between the two, and almost nothing about being a modern human allows that process that's not interrupted in a thousand different ways, you have a lot of instability. And so I think a lot of what we see in this range of flood, especially for fight people, is the reality that we don't understand it and we're not managing it and we're responding it to it in a way that's trying to control the flood from happening in the first place. And one of the things that I say in the opening that I didn't play for this podcast is that if, you know, for fight people, if you don't have a reason to die, you don't have a reason to live. And it's very difficult to understand that if you're not built this way. But what that really means is the flood that we experience is a peak positive moment for us. And it's not, it's very uncomfortable for flight and freeze people. People who run and people who hold up, they don't like the power surge that happens within them. And that's why they shut down. Now in nature, there's reasons why you want to freeze up. That's how people, or that's how animals survive. They run away and they freeze up. Don't move. Just perfect stillness and maybe the enemy won't see you as your fur or skin blends in with the natural habitat. That freeze response is essential. But there's really interesting research about how 
whichever response you're uh, experiencing without the discharge is the cause of trauma. And that's uh, with Peter Levine uh, in what he calls his somatic theory, uh, which is a little bit different than the polyvagal theory, which I've talked to you about in the past. But they're all nervous system theories, meaning if you don't discharge the flood in a healthy, appropriate way, then it causes backlash because it gets stuck in your cells and it becomes the trauma that creates problems down the road. And so what I want to do right now is just describe some of the uh, technical terms that we've got going and why I think they're just a continuum. They're not separate entities within themselves. And so some of these words you might recognize. So the first one I want to talk about is the autistic meltdown. And you might be saying, oh, I'm not autistic. I don't care. Well, from what I'm learning about autism, there is a huge number of undiagnosed people, especially women. And so what you might think is, oh, the autistic meltdown doesn't mean anything. If you can understand what it looks like, it might help you understand why that person is not going to be responsive in a way that you want, especially in a high stress situation. And it's not because they don't care or they don't want to. Or they literally do not have the chemical and the wiring capacity to function in a way that you would like them to in a, mostly a crisis situation, but also in any kind of shifting. So the autistic meltdown usually happens. It's a high degree of frustration. Uh, and that frustration occurs wherever their interruption is. So it might be, you know, the autistic meltdown comes if you try to interrupt their daily routine. Uh, if you had watched that video I posted about highly sensitive people uh, complex trauma and autism, it focused a lot on the environment, how important the environment is. And that includes all five senses. It includes the structure or the system of the day. Anything that is out of the ordinary, that's overstimulating, that is confusing, that's disruptive, the sympathetic nervous system responds with fear and the meltdown ensues, whether that's, you know, headbanging, whether that's screaming, uh, whether it's a complete catatonic shutdown. That's what we've called or are calling an autistic meltdown. Again, an oversimplification, but you're getting the picture. There's a disruption uh, there is a fear response that's interpreted as stressful. There's a flood, and then that manifests itself in a fight, flight, freeze way. And it's almost, uh, I mean, there's nothing you can do because you cannot have a rational conversation with somebody in peak flood, especially as a child or somebody who's not very self-aware. If there's, if there's no self-awareness, there's a, you can learn over time to manage yourselves through these processes and de-escalate or at least get out of the way, but it takes self-awareness. And one of the most difficult things with people who are highly autistic is there's not a lot of self-awareness in many ways. Mostly they're just looking in terms of what other people are doing and trying to maybe mimic that because there's a sense something isn't right. But it's only through the more we understand about how we are wired 
that we can understand, you know, why our, whoever we are, our responses may be different than the people around us. So that's kind of in the autistic meltdown. The next is this emotional dysregulation term that's been bandied about quite a bit. Uh, And I started with that and then I got irritated with it and I've moved on to something else. But what people mean when they talk about emotional dysregulation, they put that under people who are ADHD, people who are autistic, people who have personality disorders, uh, mental illness, all these things. They call it, oh, you're just emotionally dysregulated, meaning that there's something specific happening with you that doesn't happen with other people. And I can't prove this, but I would say, no, I disagree. What's happening from my perspective is you're having a stress response and you've been flooded with chemicals that may or may not be attached to an event that upsets somebody else. So what might be upsetting for you, let's say you're seeing an animal be hurt or you're imagining an animal be hurt, that may completely dysregulate you. But somebody who is doesn't care or isn't wired the same way you will look at you and say, oh, you're overreacting. And then the more that they push at you, push against you know, what you feel, the more reactive you probably tend to get. And then it becomes maybe a full-blown meltdown. So what I'm understanding this emotional dysregulation to be is it is a full-on chemical assault of our nervous system. We are flooding. So we have the overreaction that will get you put in the hospital. It will get you, make you suicidal. It will uh, make you feel overwhelmed. Uh, you know, it may make you say things to people you wish you hadn't said, right? You break, th- you break up relationships, you, you, uh, attack people verbally or physically in ways that you really wish you hadn't. Uh, I think this emotional dysregulation is what we see in domestic violence with men or women who berate, hit, attack. It's a flooding event because they can't control. Their fear is so intense and they attack with that fear in a physically, verbally, emotionally way. And it's abusive because there's no language. There's no understanding for what's happening. Uh, now, a lot of times these things I'm talking about will be complicated by a head injury. Uh, and I'm going to talk about things in a minute here that make all of this infinitely worse for all of us, wherever we are on the spectrum of this flood first, spiral down the drain second. Uh, but the second piece of the spiral down the drain for whoever we are, uh, but especially, you know, this emotionally dysregulated person's event is it's a crash because it's the other side of the sympathetic response, right? You flood with push energy. You flood with fight, flight, freeze energy. And there is a crash because all of this comes under an adrenaline response. And with any adrenaline response, it's not a big shock when we see a crash. We see that with drug addicts. We don't even bat an eye. Oh, that's their high, right? So they're take coke, meth, crack, whatever. They're super hyper. And then there's a crash phase where you can't wake them up for 24 hours. Our body is no different. It's just that we don't have as much 
naturally in our system than we would if we took specific drugs. Uh, we see that with bipolar. We see super manic phases and then we see super crash phases, right? Not rocket science, but we have pathologized everything. I think there's always going to be a small percentage of people who have a chemical imbalance that we don't understand. But I think it's more about what we don't understand than it is mental illness because we've seen or I've seen incredible results with people uh, like I saw this story recently about a woman who'd been diagnosed uh, paranoid schizophrenic for 70 years she went on a keto diet all of her schizophrenic symptoms disappeared and she lived a very happy normal life for 15 years I've seen that with B vitamins have resolved uh, schizophrenia and bipolar. I've seen uh, or I've read all kinds of quote-unquote examples. I don't think it's one thing. I think what I've learned being a mental health professional and having studied all of this is that, you know, you don't make any money when you just change somebody's diet. Uh, you know, we've destroyed our capacity to be human. So we are seeing this wild uptick in mental illness. But I think it's a lot like uh, being an alcoholic or a drug addict. I don't think you can diagnose anybody. You can't diagnose an alcoholic until they've been sober, a drug addict until they've been sober for many months, till their brain kind of settles to see what version of baseline. If you take an alcoholic and you put them on a nutritional plan, they have 85% recovery. If you don't put the nutritional plan less than 50%. And what's fascinating is most alcoholics have uh, carbohydrate intolerance because alcohol is sugar. So, I, you know, there's so many things that are simple solutions, but they take time, they take energy, they take focus, and they don't take just one tiny pill to fix. We are very unwilling to look at the big hard questions in our world today. But I think the more that individually we can understand about ourselves, we can start changing things, you know, within our own little family circles. So the last one that I'm going to put in this, you know, simplistic uh, level of what I call this flooding phase is just a hyperactive response of the nervous system. And that is what we would call a normal stress response, a fight response. If something's, you know, if a tiger or a lion is charging you, and you can't run and you can't freeze and you have to fight or your default is to fight, it's really good that you are flooded with adrenaline. Uh, if you are sitting asleep and there's a home invasion, if you're a freeze person, you might just freeze up and not be able to do anything. So it's really good to have a fight person in the house that can just spring into action. Uh, there's so many positives about this hyperactive uh, response of our nervous system, but because flight flight and freeze people are often afraid of it. People who don't like conflict, people who don't like intensity, people who don't like that push, people who don't like uh, anything that makes them uncomfortable, then we use this 
terminology that says, oh, this hyperactive response of the nervous system is a negative uh, because they might be hypo. They might have an under-functioning nervous system response. So instead of saying, hey, we're all within this continuum, right? If we have a low stress response and people who have a high stress response make us nervous, then we might make that person wrong. And, you know, my kind of aha with all of this is a lot of people who are in the mental health industry are not fight people. They are flight freeze people. They don't like conflict. They don't like intensity. Their management style of any kind of mental, emotional, behavioral issue is reduction, is tinier, is smaller. You just need to be less angry. You need to be less intense. You need to be more restricted. And if you are a fight person, you get labeled as oppositional defiant, conduct disorder, ADHD, uh, rage responses, wherever you you want to put that in the continuum there. Because that's who you are, because, you know, as I've been speaking to, there's a percentage, I don't know, I'm going to guess it's in that 1% to 3% people who are naturally kind of the revolutionaries. When you see large systemic changes within a civilization, it's 1% to 3% that initiate and maintain that fight against the system, fight against the evil, whatever you want to call it. So I'm going to guess that maybe one to three percent of us are wired in such a way. And I don't know if that group falls under the neurodivergent brain or it's across all people, you know, on the continuum, you know, who are uh, my guess it's across the continuum because you have some fight people who don't have any of these other neurodivergent issues. Uh, and so my guess it's across the continuum, but I have no data and I was have not been able to find any data to support any of this. So to me, what's important is recognizing what makes sense and moving on from there versus getting lost in a diagnostic label. Because in today's world, I don't know if you know this, but you know, in the mental health world, it's just like the medical world. If you don't have a diagnosis, your insurance doesn't pay for it. If you don't have a flow chart in which you can quote unquote, get better, your insurance isn't going to pay for it. So, so yeah, we have to have a lot of these labels because that's how the healthcare system works. But I don't think it works for humans who are trying to be human. I think it works in a social, social engineering way that allows us to pathologize what's probably normal and to control it through medication and behavior that may work for a percentage of the people, but it doesn't work for everybody. And I started all this because my theory is the Wired for Danger people are getting screwed in the mental health system because most of the professionals are not fight people. And so they're trying to have you work against what your natural uh, state of being is. And that's why there's so much resistance. And the things that are most beneficial, we're going back to that sympathetic parasympathetic system are found in nature they're found in normal human activity almost none of which we as humans participate in and we're so afraid of both the flood and the spiral down the drain component meaning we don't like the intensity 
So that's considered a negative behavior. And then we don't like the crash. That's considered a negative behavior. We only like people when you're floating around in the middle in the quote unquote normal part of the bell curve comfort zone. But the human species cannot survive if it everybody lives in the middle of the bell curve in a safe, comfortable state of being. Because most people live there. We have what's happening to us right now. We weren't paying attention. And we now are living with the consequences of not paying attention. So if we think about this as a flood and a spiral down recovery phase, uh, and it runs a continuum, I think the next important thing to really think about are all the things that make it worse. Uh, for anybody who's been in a 12-step program, they have this thing called HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I used to laugh when I would hear that because when are we as modern humans not hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? I mean, there's almost this constant state of being in a uncomfortable place because of so much of what's going on out in the world. And I thought, you know, if that's true, we're all screwed. But there's all kinds of things that exacerbate this flood response, whichever version, fight, flight, freeze. It's not having enough sleep. It's being in chronic pain. It's having poor nutrition. Uh, it's having imbalanced nutrition, like too many carbohydrates or not enough protein and fat can cause anxiety. And that once you're anxious, your flood response starts looking more like emotional dysregulation, which ends you up on medication, right? Uh, or makes you feel suicidal or makes you what they call borderline personality. So uh, Food is such a, it's like a medicine, you know, food is medicine. It's such an important component of how all of this works within us of, you know, having the grounding experience of being outside of how, you know, putting your feet on the ground, getting those uh, positive ions out, negative ions in. It's why when there's high wind and we have a lot of positive ions swirling, we can be a little more emotionally sensitive, angrier, more negative, more depressed because our body is out of whack. It's like ungrounded and we have to get those things out one way or the other. And humans don't do that with the most important problem being almost all shoes have rubber soles. We used to have Either we walked barefoot a lot or we had leather soles. So there was conductivity within our shoe. Now almost every shoe has a rubber sole. If you don't believe me, just check. And there's no connection with the ground. I have this theory that a lot of the reason that kids are so screwed up is they've never been grounded. They've never touched the ground. They're an overwhelming imbalance with their positive and their negative ions, which is electrical, which throws everything off. We all know that if you have a short circuit, it does nothing good for your house, for your car, your computer, anything electrical, right? You have to ground it or it doesn't work. It's so simple, but you don't make any money by telling somebody to go out and put their feet on the ground barefoot, right? Uh, and there's, if you just look up grounding, there's all kinds of things you can do to ground yourself and not just, you know, sit outside barefoot. So uh, when we have uh, dynamic relationships that cause a lot of frustration, one person 
will start to flood and overreact more when the other person starts to continuously underreact, right? So we have a thing that happens between especially men and women or parent and child. The more one underreacts, the other might overreact. Uh, a lot of what PTSD and triggering flooding is a, is that trapped trauma in the cell. It's a, you keep re having that reflooding experience because you never got the original one discharged out of your cells. And so things that you see, you hear, you feel, you think trigger that flood response and it may become less over time or it may become worse over time. Uh, any kind of alcohol, drug, caffeine, things like that, too much can cause an over flood response. It's less inhibition, less ability to manage. Uh, you know, a lot of people who have head injuries have undiagnosed head injuries because at some point, maybe when they were a kid, they fell off their bike. Nobody batted an eye. Uh, we're, I think, more aware of concussive syndrome with professional football, uh, TBI with the military. But a lot of people have just had a concussion over the course of their life. I was talking to a guy uh, when I was in Mountain Air, and I had just hit my head so hard when I was trying to fix the stupid brakes on the trailer. It's, I, anyways, I it was 30 years old. So, and I didn't have a power tool. So I was trying to, you know, loosen everything up manually. And I came crashing down on the uh, steel wheel uh, cover thing. So I was talking to him and he'd been in a car accident in the last few months and he was describing all these symptoms. And I'm like, I know I'm having all these symptoms. I said, you know, these are oftentimes from a concussion, you know, it's a head injury. And if it doesn't resolve, you know, you need to talk, get some help with this because it was impacting his capacity to run his business. You know, I was nervous because I'm like unsafe by myself. And we don't think about these things because if I hadn't, you know, been in the medical profession, I never would have thought about it. I would have just ended with the fact that I have a goose egg, right? And let it go from there. But there's so many things that contribute to a flood event of our nervous system, fight, flight, freeze, whichever one, whether it's, like I said, super anger, fight, get out of my way, I'm going to kill you energy, whether it's just, I got to go, I got to run, right? Uh, or freeze up, like I just can't deal with it. You just go in the room and shut down. You know, there's people who just go to bed for months at a time and they never respond. These are all exaggerated stress responses that are coming about because of electrochemical changes within them. Maybe magnetic too, because we're having so much magnetic disruption. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening in the atmosphere and the cosmos that we don't understand or think about. You know, we're being flooded right now with intense cosmic rays and we don't understand, you know, our our magnetic field is changing. You know, there's solar storms, solar wind, there's all these things that are happening that we don't even aren't aware of, not to mention all the 
other stuff, you know, the 5G and now the 6G and all these weird energy weapons and all these signals coming out of all of our electrical devices, there's there's more we don't understand. Uh, you know, the nanotechnology that's showing up in our bodies, that's building these antennas to create uh, receivers for all this electrical information. You know, I think that was Bird Box, the the very beginning of it was it was the cell phone that was setting people off to start killing each other so there's more we don't understand about why these things are all happening but what we can understand is what is happening and we can simplify it when we understand that our nervous system is only doing two things it's sympathetic and parasympathetic it's either in fear, trying to protect us, or it's in calm, trying to maintain us. And we're always moving back and forth between the two. And some of us are wired to be more protective, and some of us are wired to be more comfort. And you have to have everybody for the species itself to survive. But when we don't understand our biology, we are so much more easily controlled and manipulated with these things. But more importantly, we're also much more likely to get in trouble. And the problem with being a fight person who floods without any capacity to manage that it can be a very dangerous road, not just for you, but for others around you. And, you know, people who are crime fighters and criminals usually have the same nervous system. They're just on different sides of the legal system. And we can see in the world today that doesn't necessarily work out because just because you go into the enforcement, the legal enforcement side doesn't mean you're not committing atrocities. I think anybody who's been in the military has seen some people creep through or get through who like to kill, but they've just found a legal way to do it. So uh, there's a lot of nuance to all of this, but I think if we can start thinking about it as a continuum, any kind of intense emotional, uh, physical flood response is starting and ending in our sympathetic nervous system. And the best way to manage it is the more we can understand our parasympathetic nervous system. And the best things we can do on the parasympathetic side are that calm, restore stuff. So the, the simple version is, is if you're in a flood state, uh, you have 24 to 48 hours to get the chemicals out of your body. So if you exercise or you run or you do anything to discharge those chemicals, uh, you can do that in the first 48 hours. If you wait, that window has closed. Uh, that's one of the reasons I do journal writing is it doesn't discharge the stuff out of my body that wants to hit things. But once I'm in that spiral down low energy place, 
writing it out. There's something that happens with the physical act of writing that helps discharge that flood experience out of you. So you're not, you know, posting crap online that's going to get you in trouble. You're not telling people things uh, that you don't need to be telling them that are going to cause problems. Uh, You know, the most powerful part of this journaling in the flood to spiral down phase is nobody can see it because you're not rational. It's not the time to write a letter and mail it. You can write the letter, you can journal the process, but nobody needs to see it. And then at a later date, you can look back and review. But part of of not getting in trouble with all this is understanding that you are not in a state of being that anybody else needs to be involved with. And if you are on the other side not the time to have the conversation. That's the problem in the domestic violent relationship is the the physically, emotionally, mentally violent person is attacking. And the other person may be trying to have a rational conversation or sometimes what happens is they poke. They try to, they keep making it worse. They initiate and trigger the violence. Uh, mostly that's subconscious. Uh, and there's a whole cycle that goes with, through that. I'm not going to talk about that here. But anyways, there's, there's a dynamic that starts to emerge between two people when these responses are happening. So the more you can understand about yourself and the more you can understand about the different types of responses that are happening in all of us, whether it's a, a autistic meltdown, whether it's just plain old emotional dysregulation, whether it's a real life survival disaster uh, stress response, uh, whether it's just somebody who is wired to have a more hyper reactive stress response, the chemical process is the same. It's not a mental health issue. It's a chemical response wiring issue. What's triggering it, what's setting it off, could be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, situational circumstance. What sets it off can be managed. Uh, but, But the process itself is the same for all of us. And I think when we can understand that, we can start... Looking at it in a way that we can harness it, because like I said, you know, if the house is on fire, you don't need a bunch of people standing outside going, I don't know what to do. The house is on fire. I don't know what to do. The house is on fire. You need somebody that's going to run in and rescue the people, the animals, the children, right? You need somebody that's good outside that can manage everybody that's good at organizing in crisis. Uh, You need people who are good at comforting, who can clean up and comfort the children. Uh, You need healers who can focus in a crisis and take care of the sick, the injured, the wounded. Uh, You need people who are investigative that can come in after the fact and figure out what happened. Uh, You need people who can clean and sort out the mess. We need all of us. So instead of making others wrong because we don't like how they respond, (laughs) I'm laughing because the boy dog... I can't stand the way he responds. He's got so much insecurity. He's constantly pushing at me. And so right now he's pushing at me and I'm trying to not lose my train of thought. I'm trying to not get the phone turned off, trying not to get the, you know, things knocked over. It's very frustrating. So when others are 
and he perceives it as rejection, right? Because I'm trying to push him away. But because he's so insecure, he won't get away. The girl dog will just get away from me. He won't get away from me. Uh, because his insecurity is driving his pushing at me. So the more we can understand about ourselves and about the people closest to us and the people who are in the professions that serve us, the better off we are going to be as a human species, but also because we're moving ever more quickly into high crisis and intense experiences, the more we can understand about our own flooding spiral down process, the more we will be able to navigate it in a way that will not be as destructive to ourselves and to others. And so with that, the dog is winning the push power play here. I'm going to take a deep breath and I will see you next time.